open up your Bibles. We're going to jump into Acts chapter 18. So Rachel asked me if I wanted to preach this week. I said yes. I started reading Acts 16 and on, just asking the Holy Spirit to highlight something. And he highlighted something I did not expect him to highlight. And so it's a little different message this morning. Um, it's just a tiny little section from Acts 18. I don't think I've ever heard anybody really talk about it, but I really felt like the Lord was highlighting this and speaking it. And so... Um, Thank you, Rachel. So open up to Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Tell me when you're there. Nice. I'm not, so one second. All right, Acts chapter 18, verse 1. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. It says, when Paul left Athens, he traveled to Corinth, where he met a Jewish man named Aquila, who was originally from northeastern Turkey. He and his wife, Priscilla, had recently emigrated from Italy to Corinth because Emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome. Since Paul and Aquila were both tent makers by trade, Paul moved in with them and they became business partners. Every Sabbath day, Paul spoke openly in the synagogue to both Jews and non-Jews, attempting to persuade them to believe the message of Jesus. Scroll down a little bit to... Verse 18, after remaining in Corinth several more days, Paul finally bid shalom to the believers and sailed away from the coast of Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before they left, Paul had his head shaved in Centria because he had taken a vow of dedication. And when they reached Ephesus, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila behind, and then he went into the synagogue and spoke to the Jews. They asked him to stay longer, but he refused. And he said farewell to them, adding, I'll come back to you if it's God's will after I go to Jerusalem to observe the feast. And then he set sail from Ephesus to Caesarea. Verse 22, when he arrived there, he traveled on to Jerusalem to visit the church and pray for them. And then he left for Antioch, and after spending time there, Paul continued through the region of Galatia and Phrygia and central Turkey. And wherever he went, he encouraged and strengthened believers. Verse 24, a Jewish man by the name of Apollos arrived in Ephesus. He was a native of Alexandria and was recognized as an educated and cultured man. He was powerful in the scriptures. He had accepted Jesus, and he had been taught about the Lord. He was spiritually passionate for Jesus and a convincing teacher, although he only knew about the baptism of John. He fearlessly preached in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos' teachings, they met with him privately, and they revealed to him the ways of God more completely. And then Apollos, with the encouragement of the believers, went to the province of Achai, and he took a letter of recommendation from the brothers of Ephesus, so his ministry would be welcomed in the region. He was a tremendous help to the believers, and he caused them to increase in grace. And Apollos boldly and publicly confronted the Jews, vigorously debating them, proving undeniably from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Amen? Amen? All right, so that's our little section for the day. And um, I want to pull out the business piece of it, the kingdom business piece of it. So some of you guys have done kingdom business in the past. Raise your hand if that is you. Anybody? Some of you are currently doing some sort of kingdom business, tent making, something like that. Anybody in here? All right. And then some of you maybe will be or, or hope to eventually. Is there anybody that knows that they hope to? Okay. All right, so hopefully this message will apply to you. If it doesn't apply to you today, keep your heart open, take notes, because it very well could be you sometime soon. All right, um, my personal experience with tent making, I've loved business as long as I can remember since I was a little kid. Um, and whenever I went to Baylor, I signed up for entrepreneurship because I wanted to study business and start businesses. I had a dream of starting a coffee shop. And the coffee shop would be like a ministry where I could love on people, meet people, 
teach them about Jesus and whatnot. And I had a big, big dream for it. It was a huge dream. Well, I went to my business professor in college, um, and I told him my big dream. And he said, hey, really, this looks pretty good. When are you thinking about doing this? And I was thinking he would, like, shut me down. But he was like, that sounds good. When do you want to do it? I was like, I don't know, maybe, like, next year. And I was a freshman in college. And he goes, wow, that sounds awesome. You know what you need to do? You need to leave the office right now, and you need to go change your major right now. And I said, no, 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 I'm already in entrepreneurship. And he said, I know you are. You need to go change your major right now because everything you're going to learn if you go start this business next year, it's going to be a total waste of money going through entrepreneurship later. You're going to learn it all before we teach it. Go find something completely different. And that conversation changed the course of my life forever, okay? So I leave the office, and I'm like, okay, Lord, what, what do I change the major to? I thought I was good. And the Lord says to me, clear as day, clear as day, I don't want you in school. And I was like, no, 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 uh-uh, nope, uh-uh, nope. You told me to go to Baylor. You told me to do this, that, whatever. And the Lord says to me, son, you only asked me what school you were supposed to go to. You never asked me if you were supposed to be in school. And I don't want you to be in school. And I, was, I panicked because I loved school. I was like, Lord, that's not the plan. That's not what we want to do. No, thank you. I want to be in school. And we started talking about it back and forth. And we had this conversation where I began to lay out before the Lord how this was going to go if I did not go in school. I said, Lord, if I quit school, I'm not going to be able to get a job. I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. I'm never going to be able to have the connections I need. I'm never going to be able to do these things that I dream of doing. You're not thinking about these things. And he says, absolutely, and that's how I want it. And I said, but that means if I drop out of school, like, I'm going to have to lean on you to do anything of any, you know, good thing in the future. And he goes, exactly. And I was like, oh, <laughs> dang it. Okay. Yes, Lord. Amen. I will do it. Talk to my parents. It was not a good conversation. Uh, fast forward a little bit. And I had an opportunity to start a super miniature, very, very ghetto version of my dream coffee shop. It was called the Lifehouse Coffee Shop. I started it the next year after I dropped out of school. And it was a ministry to youth in the middle of nowhere in Texas. And um, the kids would come from school uh, to the, it was an old abandoned middle school that had been turned into a church that was still an abandoned middle school. And they had to come to the back of the building to get to where we were. We were in the kitchen and the cafeteria area. And they would come in after school and they'd hang out. And we had a fully functioning coffee shop. I had my, my Texas manager's food license handler certification. We had everything you could buy from Starbucks. And we spent about 1000 bucks to get it up off the ground. Our tables were electric, like giant electric spools. You know what those are? Those were our tables, okay? Um, it was so ghetto and terrible and awful, but it was a real business. It was my first real kingdom business because all I wanted to do with my life was love on these kids and invest in these kids and disciple people and help them know Jesus more. And this business provided an opportunity to be able to do that with my days. And so I had all morning to love God and, and be with him and talk with him. And then I got to go be with kids in the afternoons and evenings. And then on the weekends, we'd have a lot of people come, sometimes 50 people, sometimes 100, sometimes 200 students would come. We saw so many salvations. We saw lots of amazing stuff happen. And then there was a church split, and the coffee shop got smashed. <laughs> All right? So it shut down. But what God taught me in that first business, he taught me so much about 
trusting him because it paid my bills for the whole time that it was open when I had no other possible way of making money and paying the bills. It took care of all of it. It taught me how to manage people and how to use business as a tool to be able to love on people and to do ministry that what was in my heart. So then my second business was with Rachel. Uh, we were working part-time at the church. We were helping start a ministry training school up off the ground. The church could only pay us part-time, but all we wanted to do was love people, disciple people, help them become amazing in God. So we needed a business. We started this business called Crown Productions. It was a video business. Rachel had a degree from Baylor in video production. And so we did corporate training videos with her mom. We did a few of those. We did some wedding videos. We did some missionary training videos. We edited a, uh, a worship album for a conference. And it was the worst uh, DVD you've ever experienced. But we did it. And we made money off of it. And people were blessed a little bit. And it was good, OK? But what we found is that if we could do one wedding a month, then it would, free, it would pay us enough, basically the equivalent of a full 20 hours every single week. And so all of a sudden, we had all of this time, and we didn't need the money, and now we could invest in people like we wanted to. And God taught us so much about business through that one. Then the Lord called me into a, a different realm. Um, he called me to, to be a home inspector. It was, a, it was called Safeguard Residential Inspections. And this was a shift because the business before was a means to an end to be able to do ministry. Then res, residential inspections, this was the end. You know what I mean? It was not a means to an end. It was a calling into business business. And it was a big shift for me and Rachel. And it was like threw us around a little bit. But it was God calling me into it to do business. And I loved my business as a home inspector because it, the Lord blessed it like crazy. It was thriving. I did several hundred inspections. I had so much fun. This was my first taste of handling any sort of real money. We, sometimes we'd make 600 bucks a day on a consistent basis day after day. Um, and so we learned how to manage a real business with money. We learned how to give a lot. We learned how to save a lot. This was my first experience with meeting a lot of people outside of the church, people I never would have known before, but now I have real relationships with them. I'm getting to influence them with the kingdom. There were people that got saved at home inspections. There were um, vendors that I worked with that had their lives radically touched and moved and drawn closer to God because of the experience as a home inspector. And my very favorite thing is that it was a business together with God. It was my business and God's business together, hand in hand. And so every time I went to a home inspection, I would say, Holy Spirit, this is your inspection. you got to help me see what all we need to see. And so I'd pull up my computer and I'd be walking around and I'd hear this voice in my head, uh, go, go over here or watch for this or whatever. And so I would, as I'd get around to that spot, I'd go check out that spot and guess what? The Holy Spirit was right. And there's a problem in a spot that I never would have gone to look at normally. And this happened one to two times a day, every single inspection. I learned to hear the voice of God in, a, in an unbelievably practical way. Because everything up until then had been like journaling with God, writing things out. Like, yes, God, I hear you. I believe you. I'll find out in a few years if this is right. But now this with home inspections was like so ridiculously practical. There's a problem in that corner. Walk to the corner. 30 seconds later, find the problem. That was definitely God, right? So God trained me to hear his voice like crazy through that business. I love that business. Then he called us out of tent making to do full-time ministry. And so I've had all these seasons where he like moves us around, right? Which I think is one of his favorite things about tent makers. Um, and then he called us out of that. 
were planning the church about a, a year and a half, two years into this church and the ministry that I was working with at the time, I felt like the Lord said, hey, your time with them is over. Um, you, you need to move on to the next thing. And I said, all right, cool. Does that mean the church is going to pay the bills? And some of you guys have heard this, but the Lord says to me, um, actually, no. What if I don't want to pay you from the church? And I said, mm, mm, <laughs> not what we talked about. That's not the plan. We're not going to do that. And he said, no, 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 no. Just hear me out. Uh, what if I never intended to pay you from the church? What if I want to take the money that the church would pay you and help other people get launched out into ministry? What if I, I dream up a business together with you and you hand it over to me and I can bless it like crazy, give you plenty of money to pay your bills, plenty of time to do church stuff, but the church doesn't have to pay your bills? And I was like, you're going to have to talk to Rachel about that because... <laughs> Mm -mm, that ain't going to work. <laughs> and guess what God did? He talked to Rachel. We jumped into real estate. And the Lord did everything he said he was going to do. Blew me away like crazy. And then he dragged me into Chamberlain Realty of, of being my own broker, which I did not understand what I was getting into at the time. But the Lord has begun to reveal more of his plan for that. And I'm like, okay, Lord, yes, sure, let's go along, let's do it. And then uh, along the way, Premier House Tours as well. Will Harris and I started Premier together as a kingdom business service, saying yes to God. And then Will moved to Reading. McCoby jumps in. Talk about faithful. Oh, my gosh. McCoby has taken Premier from this to like this. And now dozens and dozens of people around town use him and the services, and they love it. They rave about it. I don't even know who any of them are, okay? It's amazing. And I think McCoby would say he's learned tremendous things about the kingdom of God through what he's learned through the business that the Lord has taught him on how to run and be responsible with business. Um, I just started a new LLC. It's called 405 Developments, and I've done nothing with it yet, but I have a dream of developing things, and I hope for the Lord to open doors for that to happen. We're about to start another business with Rachel's brother and one of our guys named Justin. It's going to be a real estate services company for realtors. It's going to be the fairy godmother of real estate services. <laughs> All right? It's going to be another kingdom business where we're handing it over to God and saying, this is yours. You do your thing, and let's walk with God, okay? So I love, love, love business. And in this last year, I feel like the Lord has solidified his, his you know, calling to me some. And my dream today, unashamedly, is that when I'm an old man, I want to have a dozen thriving businesses that make a tremendous amount of money. I want millions of dollars coming into my hands every year. And I want millions of dollars flowing out of my hands every year. And I want the influence that the businesses bring to absolutely change the world for King Jesus. Amen? And I'm unashamed about that. So I love it. And some of you guys, maybe that's you. I don't think it should be all of you because I wouldn't wish it on anybody. All right? <laughs> but if it is you, if you find yourself being drawn in by the Lord like, hey, come on over here. This is a great business idea, right? Pay attention. And I want to talk this morning and kind of encourage you to embrace what he calls you into. All right? Society has separated business from spirituality. Our Christian world for hundreds of years has kind of separated. You got the priests and you got the business people who pay for the priests. And that's the spiritual work and this is not spiritual. But do you know that God never separated the two? Yes, in the Old Testament, there were full-time Levites and priests, yes. But also, the two were blended together in various different callings in various different ways. Jesus himself was a carpenter. He was a businessman. Think about this for a minute. It's easy to think, oh, he's a carpenter. 
But this is the son of God, okay? Do you think he was skilled at what he did? Okay? He was probably the best carpenter in his whole region, all right? Some say uh, that based on history, there wasn't maybe so much wood to work with. Potentially, he was a stonemason of some sort. In his area, there wasn't, it wasn't like a thriving metropolis, but a few miles down the road, there was a very wealthy, thriving metropolis that was very pagan. Some people suggest that Jesus, the Son of God, carpenter, stonemason, whatever, who was fantastic at what he did, spent a lot of time with some extremely wealthy people building things for them. If you're really, really good at what you do, if you have the best customer service of anybody in the whole region, if you love your clients extremely well, if you provide the very best service they can possibly find anywhere else, you are going to have giant waiting lists of people wanting you to come and do the work for them. And when that happens, you can charge whatever you want to charge. I believe Jesus had a thriving business. I think he probably had lots of employees. I think he was making a lot of money in his carpentry business and that he was unbelievably well-respected in his area for the quality of work that he was providing from age you know, 15 to 30. All right? Jesus understood business. His disciples, they were fishermen. They were private tax collectors like the tag agency. They ran good business. Paul, he made tents. Barnabas, he was a farmer. Uh, Lydia, she dyed purple. Priscilla and Aquila did tents. God values tent making. Amen? Amen. All right. So many of you guys have been, many of you currently are, many of you will be in a season of tent making. I say season because I believe that if you're in a, a tent make, if you're a tent maker, God will kind of at will flip the switch on and off. And I think it's one of his favorite things, the flexibility of a tent maker to be able to obey the voice of God. God says this, bam, yes, sir, I'll go. And then he'll take care of you in the next place. And he flips the switch and you can go over here. There's so much flexibility. So if you're not in a season right now, pay attention because you may be in a season fairly soon. Um, all right. So let's take a look. Why does God value tent making and why does he so often use it instead of magically funding his saints, all right? This is a really good question because I have asked this question a whole lot of times, and I think Rachel has too, Back, especially in Waco, when we're like, God, all we want to do is honor you. Like, all we want to do with all of our time is invest in people and preach the gospel and disciple people. That's all we want to do. So why are we having to, like, edit videos? Why are we having to do these home inspections? This is not spiritual. I want to do spiritual things. I want to do things that change the kingdom forever, you know? So why? Why don't checks just show up in your mailbox at will from God? Like he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So come on, just kill one of those cows and send it to my mailbox. Take care of my money, God. What's your deal? I'm serving you. Anybody feel these things ever? Right? Yes. Okay. These are real thoughts. So why doesn't he do it? Open up to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. This is not the only reason, but I believe this is a very significant reason why God doesn't just magically fund his saints. You ready? One, three. Chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already... Already? Oh my goodness. What the... Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift 
from our wonderful Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped up into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. Okay? Let me say it again. Every, say every, every. spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from him, our wonderful heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. Okay, you currently have been given every spiritual gift, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has already been given to each of every single one of you. You've been given gifts. You've, been, you've, you've got it all. Every single one of you, you have it all. Amen? All right, now, does anybody in the room feel like they currently possess every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? Anybody? No, yeah, do you possess every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? Nobody? But the, but the Bible says he's already done it, so what's the deal? Why aren't we all raising our hands, right? Because it's about capacity. Say capacity. You heard me talk about this before. I learned this from, TD, uh, no, from T Tony Evans. A long time ago, 15 years ago. Every single one of you, I have great news. You all now, today, right now, are capable of possessing all of the ocean. It's free. Nobody owns it. If you want all of the ocean, you are very welcome to get in your car and go get as much of the ocean as you want. It's yours for free. No questions asked. Nobody's going to stop you. But if you show up to the ocean and you have a cup and you walk down into the beach and you scoop up the ocean, you now possess how much of the ocean? Because you have a capacity the size of a cup to possess the ocean, right? If you go down to the ocean and you have a five-gallon bucket from Home Depot and you scoop up a five-gallon bucket, you're going to possess five gallons worth of ocean because you have the capacity of a five-gallon bucket. If you show up to the ocean with an oil tanker and you fill up the whole oil tanker, you have the capacity to possess the whole oil tanker. It's all been given to you. You can do whatever you want with it, but it's all dependent upon your capacity to hold the ocean, right? So the Bible says God has already given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Hallelujah. But... It is very dependent upon your capacity to hold those blessings. God is jealous of his blessings. He's jealous of stewarding those things well. He is not a God of waste. He doesn't just throw them out there and let them spoil. It's like this. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, two of the richest men in the whole wide world. They're worth 70, 80, 90 billion dollars. Okay. Many, 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 many years ago, they both committed to give away 99% of their wealth before the day they die. Okay? That was a long time ago. Today, they are still two of the richest men in the whole wide world. So what's the deal? Why are they still so wealthy? If they committed, I'm going to give away all of it to change the world, but they're still possessing all of these things. What's the deal? It's because they understand stewardship. They understand if they go give a billion dollars to Bethel Church OKC. <laughs> I hate to tell you guys, but I don't currently have the capacity to handle a billion dollars to change the kingdom of God on the earth. I will find ways to spoil it. 
Bill Gates and Warren Buffett understand stewardship. They understand that a billion dollars in their hands for 10 years' time is much more valuable than a billion dollars in the hands of somebody who does not have the capacity to handle it. You give it to somebody who doesn't have the capacity, even a million dollars, in 10 years' time, it very well could be gone. In 10 years' time, a million dollars in their hands could very easily be one and a half, two million, possibly $10 million because they currently possess the capacity that has grown over time to handle tremendous wealth. And that's why today they're still the richest men in the world because they're growing their wealth as much as they can so that when the day they die, they can pass it on and have the most impact in the world. God is very much the same. He's jealous about his blessings. They've all been given to you, but he's only going to release practical pieces of it to you when you have the capacity to handle those things. And this is why I love business so much, because business is one of the most beautiful tools in God's hands to stretch your capacity to receive more of his blessings in your life. Amen? Business is 100% stewardship, plain and simple. That's all there is to it. If you're a bad steward, you're going to have a bad business. If you're a good steward, you're going to have a good business. If you're a great steward, you're going to have a fantastic business, plain and simple. And I think that's why God loves it. Jesus understood this, Matthew 25. He was talking about the Ten Commandments. And he's explaining, hey, you get some money, you get some money, you get some money. Y'all take care of it. I'll be back. And he comes back to see what they've done. The ones who steward well get tremendous amounts more because their capacity has grown and expanded to handle greater wealth. But the ones who haven't taken care of it, they lose even what they have. It's all about stewardship. God wants his children to be able to handle great blessings. And he's so committed to stewardship, so... He is also committed to growing your capacity, to giving you opportunities to grow your capacity so that you can receive his blessings. Amen? All right, so other reasons that God values kingdom business. I'll just quickly go through these, but um, if, if you are wholeheartedly committed to God, my life is yours, this is all yours, and he calls you into business, and it's you and him together, you guys doing business together, then it's a great opportunity for him to mentor you and train you on how to run a business like a king runs a business, okay? He's training you for reigning. He's changing your mindset with practical business decisions. One changed thought can change the course of your whole life, right? And so when you're doing business together with God, he will teach you, he'll coach you, help, help you understand. You say, God, what do I do today? I don't know how to start this real estate business. And he'll say, all right, just do this, do this, do this. What's that? What's that going to do? You obey. And then guess what happens? Great things happen. And he teaches you how to think like a king in business. Business leaders have influence. No questions asked. If Elon Musk walks through the doors right now, I guarantee you every single one of you are going to give him a place in your mind of influence. Why? Because we respect what he's put together. Um, any other business leader in town, even the snow cone guy across the street, if he walks in and you find out he runs the snow cone thing that you see all over the place all the time, you're going to give him a place of influence because he's done something impressive, right? I think God loves kingdom business because of the flexibility. You see through Paul, which we're going to see again, but drop of a hat, 
he can take off and go and say yes to God, and God can take care of him wherever he ends up. It gives you lots of time. Makobi was full-time hemispheres. He was making good money at hemispheres, but it was 40 hours a week in the store, walking around, praying in the spirit, trying to find things to do all day, every day. And then he says yes to God with Premier House Tours, and all of a sudden, in you know, one day, he can, he can do one video and make three, four days' worth of work. I don't remember, I remember how it worked out. It was like four a month or something. It was something ridiculous. So all of a sudden, he does one video, and now he has all the rest of his time to love God and preach the gospel and hang out with kids. It's so flexible. It's a great opportunity to experience God pouring out his favor and his blessings upon you that are completely unmerited, that you just simply don't deserve. And it's also a great opportunity for you to choose to believe that God is faithful even when the blessings and the favor are not flowing in, and he expands that much more inside of you. And it teaches you how to grow the kingdom of God practically. such a great opportunity to advance the kingdom of God in practical ways. Um, and there's great rewards in eternity. Now let's look at Acts. Um, a few people in Acts that stand out to me. The first one was in Acts chapter 4. There was this guy named Joseph, and he was a farmer. Apparently he was a really, really good farmer. Um, he shows up. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit right at the very beginning of the church, and he's loving God. He's loving life. He's like, man, this is amazing. All of life needs to be about this thing right here. Tell you what, I'm going to go sell my extremely successful farm, and I'm going to give all of my money to this thing to help this thing get up off the ground. His money financed the fire of God to launch the church across the area. He was such a great encourager with his money and with his spiritual uh, encouragement encouragement that they changed his name from Joseph to the encourager, Barnabas. They changed his name to the encourager because of how much he encouraged people. Then you see Barnabas again in Acts chapter 9, again, doing his thing. He goes and pulls Paul in and he encourages Paul. I think he probably helped Paul know how to run his business even better than he did before. Then you see him again in Acts chapter 11. Now they're buddies, they're teammates, they're going out and they're changing the world. And then he continues in, in Acts chapter 16, or not 16, but later with Mark. And he pulls Mark in and Barnabas, man, he was an amazing businessman. His influence changed the world through his business savvy, partnering it with, the God, with King Jesus. Second one comes to mind with Lydia. She was in Acts 16. This is in Philippi. And uh, Paul comes through Philippi. He hears about this group of ladies down by the river who are praying and worshiping. And he goes down there, preaches the gospel, and they get saved. Lydia gets saved. She's a very influential business lady in the area. She's a dealer of purple cloths. She dyes them and sells them. And she has traders coming into her house from all over the globe and all the trade routes. She's extremely influential in the area. She is one of the primary reasons that the church in Philippi comes to life and, and is so vibrant, but don't you know also as she continued her business and continued loving people in her area, people would come in from Asia and from Africa and from all these different places, and what is she talking about? She's telling about Jesus and how good he is, and she's selling her things. She's funding the church, and they're being launched out all over the globe loving Jesus. Lydia was awesome. I can't wait to meet Lydia. The third one that comes to mind was Paul. Of course, he was doing his tent making, and you saw I mean, God would just, like, at the drop of a hat. So I think Paul shows up, and he knows how to build a gorgeous tent, an amazing tent. He puts together his tent. Here it is for, for anybody who wants it. He sells it. Maybe he gets a week's worth of money. Maybe it's months worth of money. We don't know. But he sells his tent. God says, oh, go over there. Yes, sir. And he just ditches it all, goes to the next place, makes his next tent, sells it. He doesn't have to, like, 
guys, God's calling me to go reach, you know, Edmond, Oklahoma. I need your money. Can you send me like $2 a month for like 13 years? And eventually in like five years, I'll maybe be able to like make my way up there. No, like he trusted God. He had great skills that he was able to put to work that God could come behind and bless like crazy. And he traveled the whole globe taking care of himself because God's favor was on him doing this business thing. And then you see Priscilla and Aquila, which I love their story. So they partner with Paul to make tents and preach the gospel and change the world through kingdom business. And Paul ditches them. They stay in Ephesus. Ephesus was like the Normandy of the first church. I mean, this was a groundbreaking church plant in the area. It was a very pagan city. And now Priscilla and Aquila are there putting a stake in the ground. And they're able to stay in the midst of the fight because they know how to build a tent and let God bless the tent and then encourage the church. They have plenty of flexibility and time to encourage the church. Apollos comes in after they've launched Paul out. Now Apollos comes in. They help Apollos know a little bit more. And then they, as a body, launch Apollos out. They help fund him, I believe, and they launch him out. What amazing influence this little mom-and-pop shop who make tents had to us personally, you know? It'll be interesting to see when we get to heaven, kind of like the lineage of how your mom and dad found out about Jesus or how you found out about Jesus and which of these people it goes all the way back to, you know? But they had tremendous influence on who we are today. There's an incredible opportunity. It's an incredibly unique opportunity, a different relationship with God when he calls you into business with himself. You get to learn things that you simply wouldn't learn in normal spiritual ways, okay? The practical listening and the practical obeying and saying yes to God and then him showing up and doing those things, you can't learn those things in typical spiritual ways, right? My capacity to hear God and to trust God through home inspections, I wouldn't trade it for the world, right? I learned no questions asked. That was God all day, every day, time and time and time and time and time again. It put things inside of me that I cannot explain and I could have never received anywhere else. My capacity to trust God in giving or in strategy or in relationship or whatever, you just can't learn those things through typical spiritual things. So that's the reason that I love it. Business with God is fun. It's an adventure. It's super rewarding. It's super hard. But just know when it gets hard, it's a beautiful opportunity for you to expand your capacity. And God wants to give you even more blessings as he expands your capacity. All right, now turn the corner just a little bit. If you get drawn into kingdom business, you may feel a wrestling inside of your spirit. Like, ah, all I want to do is spiritual things. All I want to do is minister. All I want to do is go start an orphanage. All I want to do is be in the nations, whatever it is. But you called me to lick these stamps and send these letters and grow this business that has nothing to do with spiritual things. I know McCovey feels it. Often, <laughs> like, ah, I just want to pray for the sick and see people get healed. But here I am filming another house to sell to some other person, right? And it's easy at times to kind of go back and forth of like, yes, this is totally God. This is everything I was supposed to do. And no, I just want to do this. You go back and forth. So I want to explain to you how God put that to rest in my own heart. Because I experienced that big time whenever I jumped into real estate. And... Um, I was like, God, if I wasn't trying to sell houses, because I was spending a lot of time doing real estate, I was like, man, I could be like 
preaching the gospel to a dozen people a day, and I could be praying for 50 people a week, and I could do this and that, and I listed all these things. And the Lord said, you know what? You're right. You absolutely could. You could go raise full-time support. The church could pay your bills, whatever. You could go that way. The church might even grow. Like, might get to a couple hundred people. Might even get to a couple thousand people. What an influence. Wow. That's kind of how he said it. <laughs> Which you know. <laughs> if he says it that way, you're like, uh-oh. What's going to happen next? He says, but, but, what if you give me your business, you go for it with all of your heart, and I pour out my blessings like crazy you still have your influence. You still love on the people you come across. You still do the church thing like you're doing. And you have a, a great inheritance in these things. But also, along the way, as I pour out my blessings upon the business, then you have the resources and ability and capacity to make a greater impact. At the time, Keith Wheeler, he still is, one of my favorite heroes. He carries a 12-foot cross around the globe and has for decades. He's walked over 22,000 miles with a 12-foot cross, preaching the gospel in so many different countries. So many people have been saved. So many churches planted. So many healings. It's phenomenal. And the Lord speaks to my heart. And he says, what if you do the church thing and you go for the business, you let me bless it, and you begin to fund young Keith Wheelers who were called by me to wholeheartedly only do ministry, and you launch them out for the rest of their life. He said, if you will go with me on that journey, your inheritance in heaven will be exponentially greater than anything you could do by yourself. And for me, that just like, that was the nail in the coffin. It sealed the deal. Like, okay, I, I got vision for it. I can see it. Yes, God, I will do the unspiritual things in order to have a greater impact on the earth because you've called me into it. So if you are truly surrendered to God, and if he's called you to business in some way, you have to, have to, have to, have to realize that you're spending time building the very natural, non-spiritual piece of that business is spiritual in itself. If God's called you into it, if it's you and God doing it together, and you spend practical time doing those things, building the business, you cannot let your heart think like, oh, if only I could be doing that. Because you are doing something that is very spiritual in the eyes of God that's going to impact the earth in beautiful ways that you can't yet see. Amen? So you have to realize that they go hand in hand. And if you don't have any capacity because you haven't been stretched, God can't give you more. If you don't have any practical resources to do something amazing in the world, it's that much harder for God to... Get behind you and, and, and fuel. If you don't have any influence in your community, it's that much more difficult. I'm not saying it can't happen. It happens all the time. But I'm saying if God calls you in and he's wanting to grow your capacity, he's wanting to grow your influence, he's wanting to grow your resources, have vision for it. Embrace it with all of your heart. Archimedes said it this way. I love this quote. He said, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it and I shall move the world. There, I just saw this video a month ago. This guy thinks he knows how, how they built uh, Stonehenge. And he's built a mini, like a, a Stonehenge in his house, full size, I think it was. One guy with a lever and a little tiny pebble under the rock, right? The power of leverage is mind-blowing if you understand how to use it. 
And I feel like kingdom business in the hand of God is like a giant lever where little old you can make huge impacts on the world around you and for eternity if you'll put it into God's hands, okay? So two practical uh, people that we love, great examples. Jim Yost, Jim and Joan are missionaries in Indonesia. They, we got to spend almost a month with them years ago. They've planted thousands of churches, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of salvations in one of the hardest countries in the world, so they say. Amazing people. They have so many people coming to Christ, wanting to give their lives to Jesus and give him everything. They cannot fund all of these missionaries to go across the whole country. So what they do is they teach them how to do business. So one of the ones that we were with, one of the popular ones that worked really well, is they would help them put together a little cart with a fryer on it and a batch of bananas. And they go into town every day in the evening when there's people walking around, and they'd toss a banana in the fryer, and they'd pull it out on a stick, and they'd sell it for a buck or something, and it would fund the ministry. And they had all day long to disciple people, fast and pray and cry out to God and start revivals. They had influence in the communities that they were in. They were paying all of their bills. They were well-respected by the people in the area. It was brilliant. And that's his, one of his main revival techniques is training people in how to do simple kingdom business so they have plenty of flexibility and God can bless their business and the church can take off. Then we have some friends, Jason and Ashley Kennedy. They were called by God to go start a church in Cape Town, South Africa. And they're awesome folks. But right before they left, they were like, I feel like God's calling us to start a, a restaurant. And I'm thinking like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Restaurants are they're like supposed to be brutal, like terrible business. Why would you ever do this? And you're leaving town in like six months. What are you doing? Or they had a little bit of like family inheritance and they put it towards this business, a little breakfast place. And uh, people love it. People go there all the time. People love to give them all of their money. Um, nobody really knows that it's like a Jesus thing. But in Cape Town, South Africa, the last time that he and I spoke, because of the blessing of God, this little tiny restaurant in a tiny little space, then they've got two, this one little restaurant was funding almost $100,000 a year to do what they were doing in Cape Town, South Africa. Isn't that amazing? Like God loves to partner with you and pour out his blessing on these things so that you can have greater impact on the earth around you. So all that to say, if you're called into it or if you find yourself in a season where you're like, oh no, what are we doing? My encouragement to you is embrace the calling with all of your heart. Embrace the season with all of your heart. Embrace the lessons with all of your heart. Let God expand your capacity because when he stretches you, you will be able to receive more of his blessings in your life and dream big with God so that you can change the world. Amen? Um, I'm going to pray for us, so let's stand up together. Hold on. Before we do, stand up if you have been a tent maker, currently are doing some sort of kingdom business, or hope to in the future, or maybe you don't hope to yet, but it's, you're just feeling something. Stand up. I want to pray for you specifically. And then as you're standing, Sharon earlier this morning, she had a word, and she felt like the Lord was saying that somebody's business, they've been considering some sort of consolidation. Um, with the business, and she felt like the Lord was saying yes and amen, and that 
um, the scripture that says shaken down and pressed together, that would equal overflowing abundance in your business. Okay, so if any of that's you, tell Sharon, streamline, consolidation with your business. Amen? Yes and amen. All right. So, Father, we just thank you. As a group of people who are called into business and are willing to be crazy enough to say yes to you, God, we just commit ourselves to you. We commit the dreams in our heart to you. We commit the business to you. And we want to be people who run kingdom businesses. We want to journey with you and grow the family business in practical ways upon the earth so that the kingdom of God on earth can be radically advanced. Whatever your crazy ideas are, God, we say yes. Whatever crazy business you've pulled us into, God, we say yes. Whatever crazy strategy you have, God, we say yes. And we wholeheartedly dedicate these things to you. And I'm asking for a fresh anointing upon this house. God, I thank you for all the people in the room who, who do this stuff and are saying yes to you. And we just ask for a fresh anointing in the name of Jesus, a fresh fire to fill their hearts with new dreams and new visions and new understanding to say yes to you and to dream even bigger with you and to experience even greater capacity in you, greater blessings in you, we release that fresh anointing this morning upon every single person in the name of Jesus. And we love you, Father. And all the people said, amen. amen. All right. We love you guys. Have an amazing week.